Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we wish to glorify you. We wish to praise you, because you sent your Son. You sent your Son to come and be a baby, to grow to be a man, and to be perfect. And he took our punishment on the cross, and he rose again, and he ascended into heaven, and he's given us so many promises. He's atoned for our sin. And we look forward to the day when he returns. We worship you. We thank you. We thank you. Your Holy Spirit is inside of us. We praise you, Lord. Help us to understand what you have to tell us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So at the beginning of this Advent series, uh, Steve preached and he reminded us that Jesus came to witness to the truth and to glorify our Heavenly Father. Marcus reminded us that Jesus came to fulfill the law and to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, Lauren preached that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost and to give his life for our ransom. Today I hope to remind you that Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, sight to the blind, bring liberty, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and to remind you that Jesus came to give us abundant life. If you want to turn in your Bibles, the two key verses for today are Luke 4, 18 to 19. I'll give you a minute to open that. Luke 4, 18 to 19. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach, preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And the second verse is John 10.10. 10. We can flip over to the next book. And it says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life that they might have it more abundantly. So, Jesus came to preach the gospel. So several weeks ago I taught about sharing the gospel and what the gospel was. And I appreciate all who endured with me for that long talk. Um, we discovered, we discussed that the, the gospel is, we uh, covered how the gospel includes the law to reveal our sin, to establish our guilt, uh, while Jesus' death on the cross was to redeem us from the consequences of sin, uh, which is death and eternity in the lake of fire. The gospel continues with the resurrection of Jesus and the promise to give us new life as well, to be resurrected with Christ, uh, and his promise to, to, yeah, promise to give us new life. Jesus, he rose from the grave, and then after 40 days, he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, leaving us with two promises. 
that he will send his spirit to indwell the believers in order to empower them to preach the gospel, to be as witnesses, and to be comforted, to be filled with grace, mercy, peace, love, joy, and to be sealed with the second promise, which is that Jesus promised to return and to collect his saints, both those who have died already and those who are alive and remain. Those are two pretty good promises, right? Jesus came to preach the gospel, to tell of his kingdom, to give men and women the opportunity to repent of their sin, to trust in God and to become, become children of God. The gospels first preached the Jews, but it was also extended to everyone who has ears to hear or hearts that would receive it. So that's where we come in. Unless somebody's a Jew and I don't know it here, we, if we have ears to hear, we can hear the gospel, understand it, and it will transform us. So Jesus came to preach the gospel, but he also came to, to give life more abundantly. And, and truly, this is a part of the gospel. These, these two promises that were given when, when Jesus was leaving, that he will give us his Holy Spirit, and that he will come again, are a part of the gospel. I mean, the gospel is finished by these it's the seal, it's the finality. And while it is amazing and wonderful that we have been redeemed and we have eternal life, we weren't left there. The gospel doesn't end at that place. Because, I think Lauren said it many times, it's also about relationship with our Lord and Savior. It's about how God has transformed us. Remember the, the potter and the clay? And he sees the broken pitcher and he doesn't leave it there. He breaks it and he makes it new. He makes it new so that he can fill it. But if you're broken, you keep pouring in and it just comes out. But that's, that's the transforming power of the gospel is that we can be made new, new creatures in Christ. And then we can be filled with all the fullness of God. We can be filled with his Holy Spirit. And with that, we can be filled with so much more. Now that I'm jumping all over the place and not following my notes, which is good, we can be filled with grace, mercy. We can be filled with charity and compassion. We can be filled with peace and love. And what's interesting is, as you explore those words throughout the scriptures, you'll actually find that connected with words like abundance or abundantly. You'll actually find that with given, gift, um, and other such words. There's a focus that comes throughout the scriptures that, if you go back to the Israelites, he says he prepared them a land flowing with milk and honey. He doesn't just take them out of Egypt. He wants to give them much more. Right? He wants us to keep our eyes on heavenly things. 
keep our eyes focused on that kingdom that's to come, which is the end of that Luke passage, and the, the acceptable year of the Lord, waiting for that moment. But in the meantime, we've been equipped. And we've been given more than we had before. Think about Job. You know, Job went through a lot of hardship and struggles, and at the end of that, he was given twice as much at the end. So there may be trials and struggles, and there will be, not maybe, there will be. That's why Jesus said when, James says when, Peter says when, Paul said when you are suffering as a believer for Christ. But in the midst of that, he's equipped us, and he's given us resources. He's given us his Holy Spirit and Scripture, and... I'll continue with the list. I'll recap. Grace, mercy, charity and compassion, peace. Peace despite the turmoil that comes. Love, joy, or rejoicing. He's given us hope. He's given us faith. And that faith gets strengthened, tempered when we go through those struggles and difficulties. He's given us Gratefulness and thanksgiving. And surely he's given us eternal life so that as a believer, we don't focus on just what we're dealing with today. But we think about what's coming, what eternity is. And hopefully, we ought to be thinking about that neighbor next to us and what they're doing for eternity and what we're doing to tell them about what God has done so that they can have eternal life. He's given us living water that flows out of us to others. He's given us assurance and confidence. He's given us comfort. So in the midst of those difficult times, the Holy Spirit's in us. He's called the Comforter, and he gives us comfort. He helps us to endure. He's given us truth, his truth. And his word. He's given us gladness, delight. To delight in the things of God, to delight in his word, to delight in his promises. He's given us satisfaction. That's something that the world cannot give. They even sing a song about it. Well, I'm not going to repeat it, but the Rolling Stones sings a song about it. They can't get it, right? <laughs> given us long-suffering to be able to endure. That's patience. He's given us knowledge so that we can know. That's actually amazing. Okay, See, The world looks at us and goes, you're kind of nutbars. You have all this faith, but you don't see these facts over here, which are not really facts. And they accuse us in terms of believing magic and mysticism and all sorts of things. But the reality is, as you grow in faith, you also grow in knowledge. And that, that's different because you can know the love of God. You can know for certain that his promises are sure and that he will come again. You can know that. Right? You can know. God said so. It's in his word. 
you could go from believing and just having faith in that to having the knowledge of that and to be certain. And of course, you can grow in wisdom. Remember, James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let them ask. And he even says that God gives liberally to them who ask. Righteousness. Who, who, who has a struggle with sin in their life you know, and hates it? But you know what? Because of your faith in the Lord that he's given you, you're righteous. That's amazing. And freedom. Hasn't he given us freedom? We're no longer bound by sin. We're no longer bound towards death. We have freedom. Liberty. Jesus Jesus told us that he came to give us life that we might have it more abundantly. He also said, to those who have these things, more will be given. I love that. He doesn't actually state when he talks about to them that hath, more shall be given. We use the word talents. And the talents represent, guess what? This list. And I'm sure there's a few things on this list I didn't cover. In particular, it counts for faith. If you have a little faith, God will give you more. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? If you have mercy, he'll give you more mercy. Well, to him that hath, more will be given. The world offers distractions. It offers happiness and satisfaction and pleasures untold, but none compare to the blessings that come from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The world fair is circumstantial and temporal. While the gifts of God cannot be stripped away, they are eternal. The very word of God, sorry, the very word happiness, the very word happiness, has the root word, hap, which means luck. That's what the world offers. We want you to be happy. But that's luck. That's circumstantial. It happens. If something good happens, you feel happy about it. But it's fleeting. It doesn't compare to gladness for the things that God has done for you, for the salvation he offers, for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't measure up to joy, which can be expressed in joy and rejoicing and praise. It doesn't measure up. The world offers many things that look good, taste good, feel good, sound good, they're sensual. In fact, remember Eve, right? She looked on the fruit, it looked good to eat and to make one wise. She thought that looked good. But it didn't. What did it do? Open her eyes, she realized she was naked, and then set her apart from God. When or the world runs out, when the, the, the offerings of the world runs out, the flesh just craves more, doesn't it? Leaves you empty and wanting more. We can see that in alcoholism, drug addiction, gluttony. We know this, that God is spirit, and those who worship him in spirit 
So, sorry, those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. In the same way, God's gifts are spiritual. They are higher than the carnal options that we face every day. God offers you, they're heavenly. And they are to transform us, to prepare us for his kingdom. They are to encourage us to look forward to that great day when Jesus comes back to collect his bride, to collect his church, to come and get us. You looking forward to that day? Does or do the the difficulties and the trials of today might make you just yearn and long for his return that much sooner? I know it does for me. You know, when I listen to the things in the news or hear the events or crazy politics of the day or the struggles people go through, you just think, Oh, how how quickly, Lord, will this come? I love the phrase, exceeding abundant. Remember, God wants us to ask of him, but he will give us exceeding abundant more than we ask for. Okay, does that mean if I ask for loot, God's going to give me an exceeding abundance of loot? I don't think so. <laughs> we ask amiss when we do that. Right? We don't want to ask amiss. We want to ask in accordance with God's will and with his spirit. But those things I listed, those are in accordance with God's will because those are promises of his. So ask him for those things, for mercy, for love, for compassion. To look at your neighbor with love and the desire that they would give their lives to Jesus Christ too. That you would have wisdom and the words to say. We, the children of God, are glad because we know his glory will be revealed soon one day. Or one day soon. We, lo- we love God and our neighbors because we are loved by our Heavenly Father. John says that we love him because he first loved us. We rejoice because he, we have been saved by him from destruction. We are comforted by his Holy Spirit and his word dwells within us. We hope for the day when Jesus Christ returns to gather up his church and take them home. We grow in faith as we see how we are continually remade with new desires and a deep love for both God and our neighbors. We have compassion on those who suffer and give freely out of true charity. We experience the hand of God working in our lives and in the lives of our friends, family, and neighbors. We have confidence because Jesus has already won. We learn patience, grow in faith, and find joy during suffering, knowing that the suffering is temporary. We know that our lives are in the Father's hand and that we will be with him one day forever. Amen. Every day we experience a newness of life as we sit at God's throne through prayer and reading of the scriptures. Remember what Romans 12 says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are free because we are no longer burdened under the law and the clutches of death. Even, even if you feel like your country is oppressing you or some other entity is oppressing you, 
in this world, you are free. You are free in Christ. Jesus came to prepare us for his return. Jesus humbled himself when he was manifest in the form of a little baby. He endured nine months in Mary's womb and suffered through natural birth in a stall filled with livestock. That's commitment from our Lord. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Now picture this. He swaddled in clothes and laid in a manger. Hard not to picture it these days. That's what we try and look for, right? We, we have the nativity. We, we look at that. Keep that in your mind. Because it's a foreshadow of being wrapped in grave clothes and laid in a tomb. Now that's commitment. So when you look into the manger and you see the baby, remember that he came and died for you. But those swaddling clothes are there to remind us that he came and died for us. However, I said that he came to prepare us for his return. Remember this too, that he came again to take you up. And when he's done, he will be swaddled. Or when he comes, he'll be swaddled in the clouds. Is that not what we see in Acts? When Jesus ascended to heaven, two angelic witnesses told the disciples that Jesus would return, Jesus would return the way he left, in the clouds. It's an amazing picture, actually. That even when Jesus came as a babe, wrapped in swaddling clothes, he was foreshadowing his ascension into heaven and his return in the clouds. In Job, God told Job, he makes the cloud his garment. There you go. Job 38, I make the clouds my garment. Wow. This is a token to remind us of the promise to re- of his t- return to bring us home. This is our hope. The manger, the swaddling clothes, are truly a symbol of hope. Right? When you look at that manger, remember that. Think about it. God is so much bigger than us, isn't he? Every detail, every detail in the scriptures, so perfectly set up. Why does it emphasize he's swallowed? This is why. To remind us. Jesus was on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And he was glorified before, he was transfigured before them, right? His clothes, himself shining in white, perfect, pure light. Then what came? The clouds. <laughs> he keeps giving us pictures so that we focus on that day when he comes back. I learned to mountain bike. I used to mountain bike, believe it or not. One day I bought a book. I'd, I'd done, even done some races, but I thought, I'm going to read a book. It's called How to Mountain Bike. Go figure, right? You think you, you do this. You <clears throat> Most people think you just ride a bike, you just get on, learn how to ride a bike, you fall a few times, you get it figured out. And I'm reading this book and learning how to mountain bike, going, wow, it really improved my riding. The techniques that I learned there were quite amazing. 
And I wouldn't have learned, or maybe I've learned them on my own, but it definitely improved my, my writing skills. And suddenly I just forgot where that was supposed to go. <laughs> Darn. Seemed well connected. Oh, sorry. I thought it was going to be a good statement there, but why not give glory to God? I cannot recall. I guess I'm too tired. Oh, well, that's okay. In conclusion, I've been saying the words us and we a lot. I've been very inclusive in that us and we, haven't I? The truth is, I don't know what the state of, not the state, but the standing of your soul is. I don't know. Anyone coming in here, sitting on the chairs, or watching, or listening online, I don't know. So I'm going to ask, are you saved? Have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? Do you have joy in your heart even when your life is on trial? Luke 6.45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil out of the, <clears throat> evil out of the treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of his heart his mouth speaketh. Do you produce good fruit? Does the fruit prove what you feel or think or are? Do you have compassion on lost souls? Blessed are you when, sorry, wrong arrow here. Hereby, follow my arrow. Hereby we would perceive the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up this bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Do you have compassion on your neighbors and your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you have grace for them? Do you hope for the glorious return of our Savior and his demonstration of his glory and power? Do you hope for that? Is that your goal? That was the point of the story. That was the bike ride story. <laughs> because I learned in the book that I need to look further ahead when I'm riding. See, God is good. If you look where your wheel's about to go, your, your trajectory is off, and you're more likely to not go as fast as you need to go, or fall, or hit a tree, or wipe out, or whatever it is. You want to look as far ahead as you can while you're riding, and then everything else works out. While you're riding, you will be able to maneuver around the objects and the obstructions that you've seen ahead of time not reacting in the moment they're there. So, 
the illustration is there to keep us focused on the return of our Lord Jesus Christ and that being a motivation to help us to navigate all of the obstacles that come. Right? It's the same thing with driving. If anybody watched uh, you know, Canada's Worst Driver back in the day, they always said, look far ahead. Don't stare at the obstacle that's in front of you because what did everybody do when they looked at the thing? They hit it. Don't look at those obstacles. Keep your eye on the goal, which is Christ. Then you can just drive right past it. That's what the Holy Spirit will do in your life. So if you just miss it. So if you do not, if you do not have these fruit, I encourage you to examine yourself before God. Get on your knees and spend some time alone. Ask the Holy Spirit, am I saved? Do I have these fruit? Why don't I have these fruit? And and allow the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart. And if you are saved, and you're not bearing all these fruit, then ask God, what is, what is, what am I focusing on instead of on you? What's, what is keeping me from this? Do I have sin in my life? That's preventing that fruit in my heart. That, that change of heart. Uh, what's preventing me from loving my neighbors? What's preventing me from having joy? Why am I complaining all the time? Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Just consider that for a moment. The world, my boss will say, it's slower than the second coming of Christ. He loves to say that statement. You know, and that's the world's, uh, well, you guys are really, it's apparently he's coming, right? So, there's so much doubt and so much temptation for doubt from the world. He's coming. He said he's coming soon. Well, the verse before this one says that the day into the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. We've only been a couple thousand years. So, for God, it's only been two days. Just just about two days. Well, that's pretty cool. It's not really as long as we think it is when you put it into God's perspective. You know, I said the swallowing clothes are an example of his return. But so much more about his first time coming here represents that. I'll just give you one. The Son of Man was in the heart of the earth for two days and came back on the third. So if it was two days ago, when Jesus first came, he's coming back on the third. Think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute. Let that set in. Because he is coming back on the third, when it's just around the corner. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. When it comes, whoa. Will we be unprepared? No. 
No. The world will be unprepared. But we're looking for that day. That's what the watchmen are doing. They're looking to the east, waiting for Christ's return. Skipping to verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. What makes you blameless? The blood of Christ that washed you clean. Without spot. And the Holy Spirit inside us gives us that comfort and that peace. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. And I ask that you would plant those seeds of your word into our heart. We thank you for your Holy Spirit and for comfort. We thank you that you have the fruit of your Holy Spirit that is manifest through us. So love, joy, peace, and long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, faith, and temperance. Thank you for the gifts that you give us, that you give without repentance, that you've given us, you don't take them away. Thank you that you, you give us love. Love so that we can pour it out to others. Thank you that you give us faith. Thank you for joy. Thank you that we serve you. You've called us to serve you. And we can do that with gladness. We praise the name of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.